Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now entering the Second Big Comics Podcast. Starring Mark Clare and Renzo Martinez. Welcome back, welcome back to the only comic book podcast in the world where an older white man teaches a young Latino how to read. Except we're missing him today. Florida man Mark is out, which means you're left with me. He is no longer Mexican Mark. If you've missed a couple of episodes, Mexican Mark has transcended into Florida man Mark. So recently, what he has been doing is he's been drinking lots of 7-Up, he's been learning about the Miami Heat, and he's fought only a couple of alligators. Now, I hear, if you're going to live in Tampa, you have to fight at least five. So when we hear from Mark next time, maybe we can see if he's made some progress on his alligator crocodile punch card to see whether or not he is the superior Florida man. You know, there was a joke a couple of years ago. I, I didn't know that Joe Exotic from Tiger King was in Oklahoma. So before I actually watched the show and learned a little bit about that, my, my mom back in Virginia has a friend who's from Florida, and she's kind of like a female Joe Exotic when you take out the extra craziness and the criminality. But uh, basically, um, as soon as I saw Joe Exotic... I immediately thought of my mom's friend, and why is the why is the music doing that? Music should not fight me and continue to rise back up after I has brought it down. Damn you, technology! Anyway, uh, my mom's got this Florida friend, and she acts like a very stereotypical Florida woman. And I thought that Joe Exotic was the exact definition of a Florida man, so I went ahead and uh, texted my mom a photo of Joe Exotic, and I said. Doesn't he look like your friend from Florida? It's like if Florida was a person, he would be this guy. Send this to her and ask her how that makes her feel. So my mom did. She went ahead and sent that to her friends from Florida, and she went ahead and replied, stop insulting the great state of Florida. That man is from Oklahoma. So, yeah. That has nothing to do with the story other than Mark needs to fight some alligators. But speaking, speaking of fighting some ossified... Uh, just stagnant monsters, these, these reptile people that have gone ahead and taken over the comic book industry. I don't want this to be a, to be a rant episode. I haven't done a Remso rant over in Patreon, which, by the way, if you want to hear more from Mark, if you want to hear more from moi, if you want bonus episodes of the show, if you want a whole bunch of stuff that's awesome sent to you, go ahead and get on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. That's cheaper, way cheaper than a cup of coffee. You go ahead and get so many perks and more. 
uh, go ahead and hit the link in the show notes. That's patreon.com slash secondprintpod. I'll be starting a new season of a new series on Patreon titled Remso versus the DCEU. That'll be going on for uh, the next month and a half. Mark will continue his show, uh, Case of the Runs, where he goes through an entire run of a title based on uh, you know one of his favorite writers or artists at the time of his choosing. Uh, I, I do know that we will be planning our upcoming Journey into Mystery calls for $15 a month and above patrons. Uh, last month there was a lot of moving, a lot of traveling, uh, so we apologize for missing that, but we'll be planning two Journey into Mystery calls this month. And uh, I went ahead and picked up a new uh, bag of um, shrink-wrapped graphic novels from my local shop, uh, Galaxy of Comics, here in Milwaukee. I went ahead and picked those up for some awesome epic crossover-level patrons and above. I'll be shipping those out very soon. So please, the, the fun never stops, even when the show stops showing. I don't know if that rhymed well, but we're just going to go with it. Anyway, uh, something that a lot of us have been speaking about over the Second Comics fan zone, our private Facebook group for patrons. If you're not part of that, go ahead and rewind and you can hear the whole spiel again. There's been a lot of talk about the things that upset us. And I think two things are true. One, a lot of comic book fans, as we have discussed on this show, have the right to be upset with a lot of the changes we're seeing in the comic book and the entertainment space, from movies to television to video games to the comics that birthed our fandom. We have a lot to be upset about with the way that they are being treated by writers that don't seem to care for the lore, care for the canon, care for the, for the characters, and care for the fans who buy the books nonetheless. Uh, that's true. What's also true is that we've never had more content given to us every which way we could possibly think of, from mobile games to big-budget video games, animated movies, streaming shows, shows that are on major networks, um, you know, f- multiple franchises, uh, interconnected universes, standalones, like, you know, black label comics, like, uh, just so, so much. You name a thing, you name a way you like it, And the content is there. So in a way, I think we're also cursed with the fact that there's a lot of demand for the stuff that we used to not get a lot of prior to when comic books and comic book IP went crazy about 15 years ago. I could probably say with the first Iron Man film, that's when shit really started getting heavy. It had been getting heavy a little bit before that. But it was really after that when it became very, very commercialized that, um, you know, we, we started to see more of what, what we call the woke agenda. We've talked about the victim's journey. For those of you that are new to the show, because we're going ahead and getting new people listening all the time if they're not turned off by my bad rapping, cringy jokes, uh, Mark's um, offensive gong sound effects that he will just sometimes leave in episodes and, um, you know, all, all that stuff. Uh, hopefully you stay on for this. But what the victim's journey is, in a quick synopsis, is, is the inverse of the hero's journey. The hero's journey is a guy goes from a state of complacency. He's pretty much, he or she is pretty much, you know, 
looking at the world thinking, this is it. I'm not going anywhere. This is just my life, whether it's good or bad or somewhere in between. At some point, there's a call, there's a situation that pulls them out of that realm of comfort. And I say comfort vaguely because they can be comfortable and complacent. But something happens that pulls them out of it. From there, there's a call to action. They are thrusted onto a journey where they meet a mentor, where they gain allies, where they have a first major challenge. And at some point along that challenge, the hero of our story hits a point where they do not think they can succeed. But something forces the hero to look beyond themselves in order to get past the challenge and eventually defeat the bad guy or, you know, defeat the thing. And eventually um, the, the problem is solved, not without some scratches, not without some scars, not without some lessons learned. And by the time we get to the story, the hero has done something that he or she thought they could never achieve and they're a different person. So even if they're back to where they started, they are changed and the immediate world around them is going to be different because the hero has gone through something that has changed them for the better. Now, that's the hero's journey. The victim's journey is the inverse, which is the victim has always been victimized. The victim does not need to change. The world around the victim needs to change. From there, the victim somehow obtains a call to action in which they are propelled to a point where suddenly the victim can be the person who, who turns the oppressors into victims. That can even take their allies and force them to step beneath the victim in a sort of hierarchy. From there, the victim goes and they break down existing systems, whether it's really a bad guy or it's something that's more in the middle, like it's more philosophical, it's more societal. They cause something that can be ir- that is irreversible. Basically, they have defeated the big thing that is preventing the victim from being seen as greater than or equal to. From there, the victim does not change. After the big bad has been defeated, the victim on the way down changes everyone around them. And he or she, they, them, she, whatever the fuck we're calling they, thems these days, they go ahead and they don't have to change. They were exactly the same as they were at the beginning of the journey, except now the, the point that was you know normal where they were comfortable, complacent, everything around them has changed. So basically... The hero was, you know, the victim was always special. There was always something that the hero in this situation had to do to change other people. More towards what the victim wants. And I say hero-victim interchangeably here, but you get what I'm saying. What does that kind of sound like if we really think about it? Let me see. Somebody's not happy of how something is. They go and suddenly get an ability to change other people. They go ahead and irreversibly change something, whether or not it was good or bad. Then what they do is they descend down as they accumulate more power, and they go ahead and everything around them is permanently changed to the way the victim wants it. I think we should stop calling it the victim's journey. I think we should start calling it the villain's journey. Because what is more selfish than that? Now, in the past, I've gone ahead and said that if you want a good example of the hero's journey, you'll watch A New Hope, Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. 
a prime example of the victim's journey is um, the the new, you know, uh, episodes seven through nine of Star Wars from, uh, you know, The Force Awakens through Rian Johnson's The Last Jedi and then finally The Rise of Skywalker bullshit. That's an example of Rey literally not changing <laughs> and just being given everything and tearing down all the heroes as well as the villains to get to a point where, you know, they have more power. They haven't changed because they didn't need to change. Rey didn't need to change. And uh, I don't know what the lesson is. <laughs> but, you know, what's an example of the villain's journey in that? You know, we could easily look at The Sopranos. We could look at Breaking Bad. There are examples of that. But here's the thing. We don't look at the villain really as a victim. I, I You know, while we can certainly say that, you know, um, Joaquin Phoenix in The Joker was a victim, he certainly did some villainous shit intentionally. We could play the mental illness card or not. He did some villainous shit. Nobody looks at him and says victim. They see villain. Now, what does all of this have to do with the comic book industry? This victim's journey narrative has been so interwoven with everything that is the modern folklore, the modern mythology that is the American comic book. Um, We're seeing it really take out a lot of what I will call legacy-seeking artists. And that's what the the title of the show was really going to focus on, how legacy-seeking artists are ruining comic books. Now, a legacy-seeking artist, uh, and, you know, I, I, will, I will put writer in that category as well because it's all art in some way. You know, I was a writer. I consider myself an artiste to a degree. Not the same as somebody that draws with their hands or, you know, does stuff with other things. You, you get what I mean. But the legacy-seeker is somebody who doesn't just want to be part of something. They want to permanently imprint themselves on art. Now, if you want to go ahead and do that with your own comic book, your own game, your own movie, your own book, what have you, that's perfectly fine. That's all you. It's your thing. The problem with the legacy seeker in comic books especially and in franchise movies is that they go so far to make themselves more memorable than the actual story or the importance of the character in that story that they go ahead and sacrifice what the fans and readers and viewers love the most in order to make themselves the talking point. Now, does everybody who seeks a legacy destroy what it is they intend to go ahead and leave a legacy on no let's go ahead and look at you know directors um the dark knight is a masterpiece film you probably hear something cackling in the kitchen that's my wife going over there to make sure the apartment doesn't burn down uh which is why you need to go ahead and subscribe to patreon some more so that way we can get a bigger home but i digress christopher nolan is a legacy director but he didn't start that way intentionally trying to imprint himself on other people's stuff Um, You know, he started with movies like Memento and The Prestige. He was a phenomenally groundbreaking director before the Batman series, before the Dark Knight trilogy, and he continues to be afterwards. But even he himself said that it was not his intention to go ahead and make 
the Dark Knight trilogy just all about Christopher Nolan. He wanted to do the best he could to give people the Batman that they loved growing up and wanted to see in a live-action film. There is somebody who is somebody who definitely leaves a legacy in his, with his career, but he did not seek to make Batman his. That's why he was always so supportive of people like, like, um, like uh, uh, Zack Snyder and, and other directors, James Gunn. He, he's always been very supportive of them, especially when you know, Zack Snyder took over Batman. Now, what did Zack Snyder, who worked with Christopher Nolan, Christopher Nolan was a producer for The Man of Steel, um, he, he sought advice from Chris, especially when it was his turn to cast Batman. And what Chris said was, do the best, cast the best person you feel for the job, give the audience the person who will do the best to deliver the best Batman. And despite all the original criticisms of Ben Affleck, Ben Affleck did the best job. He is perhaps the best on-screen Batman, uh, perhaps my, you know, second to Michael Keaton, if we're going that way. But For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. You got two directors who leave an obviously amazing legacy, but they did not go ahead and claim the characters to be theirs. Now, where does this fit into comic books? Let's go ahead and talk about one, two, three, four writers writers that many of you are familiar with. Um, uh, oh, shit. I, I just completely, completely got got derailed just now. Um, shit. You see, a, a, a real podcaster would have gone ahead and edited this out. You get me, because Mark's not here. Oh, Tom Taylor, Donnie Cates, Brian Michael Bendis, and let's throw in a little Al Ewing. So, Tom Taylor, Donnie Cates, Brian Michael Bendis, Al Ewing. Let's start with Brian Michael Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis is probably my favorite modern comic book writer. He has written some of my favorite titles. New Avengers, Secret War, um, Mighty Avengers. He has created characters who I absolutely love like Miles Morales in the pages of the original Ultimate Spider-Man from the Ultimate Universe. Um, he's also created some outright abortions that should be considered war crimes by most comic book fans. He went ahead and gave us Fear Itself. He went ahead and just gave us, uh, you know, one of the worst Iron Man runs you could ever imagine. He went ahead and created a horrible, horrible ca character, almost like the albatross to this, um, to, to this, you know, misfortunate seafaring fallacy lore I'm trying to go with. Uh, what was the legend? Uh, 
the the tale of the lost mariner and the albatross or something like that. If I'm getting too deep, just ignore this part. But anyway, Riri Williams Ironheart is a shit character. The shittiest character. A character who should have been scrubbed out from Marvel just like the Monkey King, just like Freedom Ring. You don't know who those people are because they didn't last more than a couple issues. Marvel completely forgot the Monkey King existed and Freedom Ring, who is genuinely a cool character. And mind you, the first openly gay superhero was murdered. Ironically... In a comic book by Brian Michael Bendis, go ahead and look up Marvel Team-Up Freedom Ring on Google. You can go ahead and see how Marvel treated their first openly gay character. They murdered him and never brought him back. Um, Why? Because, yes, he was gay, but he had his own hero's journey. He was a genuinely heroic character. And it's actually upsetting that in an era where you would attempt to make woke characters, you wouldn't go ahead and prop up a character who was genuinely heroic. Because it's not about who he was, it's about what he represented. He represented the hero's journey. He did not represent the victim's journey, like a Riri Williams, who, as I've said in the past, started smart, started better, was superior to Tony, was constantly told she was better than Tony, was always heroic. No one can name a single thing about her other than she's a young black woman, possibly a lesbian, maybe a Muslim. I don't know. They change it almost regularly. And now what they're doing is instead of recasting T'Challa in the upcoming Black Panther Wakanda Forever film, they're going ahead and they're going to go ahead and make it Riri Williams Fest. Why? Because the victim's narrative is here. Brian Michael Bendis at some point was the best writer by industry standards in the mid-2000s and 2010s. He wrote genuinely great stories. His ultimate Spider-Man run is one of the best comic books I've ever read, period. I've said, sh- I've said so on this show. Uh, way back in the archives, I think in the 30s of SPC, you can go ahead and listen to our review of uh, Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 1 uh, with great power. Uh, that's, a, that's a book that brings tear to, tears to my eye. This is somebody who was simply trying to retell the Spider-Man story for a modern audience. He did it perfectly. Um, at some point, he became less focused on writing good stories, and he became more obsessed with being a legacy-seeking writer. He wanted to create more characters that represented what he thought readers want. He went ahead and wrote stories based off of what people who didn't even read the comics he thought they would want. He became more with talking about the importance of his characters than the quality of his characters and the quality of his stories. And he became less focused on what made him great and more focused on what would get him more retweets or more interviews. Brian Michael Bendis is not the same writer he once was, and it's really sad because on this show... I have given him tens, and I have given him really, really low scores. I have praised him, and I also tear him down because I try and be objective. Look at Mark, for example. He can go ahead and be blocked by Eric Larson, but still give Eric Larson money because he likes Savage Dragon. Even though a few months ago you probably heard that Mark stopped reading Savage Dragon, or he, he's still collecting it. I don't know. You'll have to catch up with him after he fights his fifth alligator. However, however... Now we go on to Tom Taylor. Tom Taylor, who wrote the Injustice comic books. That, 
if you were given a a television tie-in comic book, or worse, a video game tie-in comic book, that was almost a death sentence. They gave those assignments to writers and artists who were like uh, on triple A on AAA baseball teams. Okay, like you don't you don't you don't want those titles. You don't want to play on that team. Nobody knows you. No, no one, no one cares about the Worcestershire Red Sox. They want the Boston Red Sox. Okay, I don't think it's the Worcestershire. I think that's a sauce. But anyway, the, you know the AAA affiliate. If you're if you're a sports ball fan, you know all that stuff. Anyway, nobody wanted that. So here you have Tom Taylor given, and mind you, while it may have been a very popular um, video game, gamers don't buy comic books typically. That's just a thing. I don't know why. I'm not saying it's a good or bad thing. I'm just saying that doesn't usually happen. But he went ahead and, I mean, he got he got years off of that comic book. It was only supposed to be a limited series. They had, like, Injustice Year 1 for multiple volumes. Then they had Year 2. Then they had Year 0. And they looked at that, and it just kept going and going and going and making more and more and more money. And it was outselling a lot of their main staple books, like Justice League. And they were like, holy shit, Tom Taylor's a rock star. And then they gave him one of the best limited series that I've read in a while, uh, Deceased. So much fun. Um, he, he did a couple others that were just fantastic. And he was by far probably, uh, I was buying more Tom Taylor books than I was buying Chip Zdarsky at the time. And you all know right now, Chip Zdarsky is my favorite writer. So Tom Taylor is creating a, a giant reputation for himself. Then he becomes a legacy seeker. And he's given Superman, son of Kal-El. I was so excited to not only read that book, because I had been a Jonathan Kent fan. I was like, you know, as far as legacy characters go, it, I actually think that we can see John Kent, the son of Kal-El, Clark Kent, Superman, be the new Superman. I can see it even more now since Tom Taylor is going to be writing it. What did Tom Taylor do? Tom Taylor fucked it up. I've said it enough times, so new listeners, I'm sorry, you're going to have to go back and listen to some old episodes. But Tom Taylor focused more on making uh, on making the new Superman a gay icon than making him heroic. And it has nothing to do with him being gay, but it has the fact that he's not heroic. He doesn't do anything. And the stuff he does do alienates half its readers. I would say more than half its readers. Because conservatives actually tend to like Superman more than liberals. That's not, a, that's not an opinion. They've done studies about this. Um, you know, conservatives like the Punisher more than liberals. Liberals like... Um, uh, who is it? They, they like... Uh, they, they, they like... Um, uh, they, they like Black Widow more than conservatives. It's just a weird thing, and we can't pretend that what is going on in the world around us isn't influencing our trends and isn't influencing how these industries are. Uh, obviously, Marvel and DC, especially when Marvel was bought by Disney, took a side, and they've always made it very clear where they see people who don't align with certain values of theirs. And at some point, that got to Tom King. And that... I mean, Tom King has just ruined an amazing, uh, amazingly potential series. Nobody likes this Superman son of Kal-El. Even friends of mine I know who are 
different than me politically. They're like, I don't get what he's doing. There's no story. There, there's nothing here. There's, there's no Superman in this. Who is this kid now? He's not even nice. He's kind of fascistic in many ways. He threatens people. He literally threatens people who don't do what he wants them to do. And it's not like he's fighting villains. He's fighting, you know, the, these Donald Trump stereotypes. It's really, it's really sad because Tom Taylor could have had something potentially amazing. Instead, he, he, he shot himself in the foot. And I'm pretty sure he's doing that DC versus vampire stuff. I don't know if that's him. I'm pretty sure it might be. But, I mean, it's, it's turned me off from all his stuff. S- same deal goes for, um, uh, what's, his, what's his name? Tom King. Tom King it is objectively, I think, a great writer. But Tom King, Tom King basically Tom Kingifies everything he does. And if you criticize it, he calls you something horrible. He calls you racist. He calls you misogynistic. He calls you fa- a fascist. He calls you all these horrible things. Because it stopped being about the characters, it stopped being about the stories, it became about Tom King doing Tom King things. And Donny Cates has slipped on that. He had such a fantastic, fantastic Venom run and Thor run. And now he's on Mortal Hulk, and it's just, it just got weird. And same goes for Al Ewing. And I don't even know if Al Ewing is writing, because he got replaced by Ram V over at Immortal Hulk, and or Venom. I mean, yeah, Al Ewing started on Mortal Hulk, just completely changed the Hulk by comic book standards. That's not the fire alarm. I promise you. It's, it's not that we're safe. Everything is good. Calm down, calm down. If you're driving, I apologize. Um, Al Ewing completely made the Hulk a relevant tour de force by comic book standards. Uh, the immortal Hulk is one of the best books of the last decade. And then he goes on and makes venom Eddie Brock's son. And he, he doesn't even show up for his own book. It's all Ram V now. It just doesn't doesn't make much sense. So what I'm getting at is I also don't even know if they want to be woke. I, I guess this is what I'm trying to get to. I think at some point writers fall into trends. And I, I, I'm not saying maybe they're not. They don't believe these things. I'm not going to claim that. But what I do know is that we have replaced what made comic books great. And these writers put themselves before their fans and they did what they thought was going to be socially popular instead of what was morally right, which is to accept that there are people out there that are different than you to accept that these are not your characters. These are characters that belong one to a company by business standards, but secondly belong to generations of readers and fans who have bonded with these characters, they're they're not yours. You know, Uh, I I had a friend who's a independent comic book writer and he wanted to go ahead and write Spider-Man one day. And, uh, you know, his thing was like, I didn't want to write Spider-Man to make it my Spider-Man. I wanted to write Spider-Man because I wanted Spider-Man to be part of my life in a way that was more than just me being a a reader. I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to be part of Spider-Man. And I think that's how all these writers started. And I think that's where a lot of them lost track because they stopped seeing themselves in the characters and themselves in the stories and themselves in the eyes of their fans who propped them up to have such privileged opportunities to write and draw those stories. And they ended up seeing 
themselves is the main feature. And um, that that's what's really sad. So what I'm getting at is I think right now, and we've talked about it on, on the newsroom and other shows, Mark and I aren't reading a lot of new books. And it's been like this since before the lockdowns when the comic book industry had to take a pause. Um, there are examples of great artists out there and writers who are creating a great professional legacy for themselves while at the same time uh, giving readers what they want. I think Chip Zdarsky is doing that wonderfully. Daredevil, Batman, Public Domain, Stillwater, uh, whatever dozen books he's writing under the radar and publishing at the same time. He, I think he, he's one of those people. I hope I don't have to eat these words later. Uh, I think Matt Kind. Uh, with Berserker, with Keanu Reeves, is continuing to do that. Uh, I, I think he's fantastic. If you're still if you're still not reading Berserker, go ahead and at least get Berserker Volume One and tell me whether or not you loved it or hated it because that is still an amazing book. I thought you know after Exo Man of War, you know he he would want to take a break. No, he's still doing great. There are great people out there, and I think that ultimately um, they're going to succeed. Whereas all these legacy seeking writers and artists are not. I think comic books will eventually reach a point where they put the fans first again where they value the hero's journey over this victim's journey bullshit and that good will prevail over evil we will end sectarian violence in the middle east peace in our time um cats and dogs kumbaya free love all that stuff i think uh things ultimately do get better because if we've seen anything especially with this warner brothers shakeup, and maybe we'll leave that for a newsroom episode Uh, People are starting to figure out. You can't alienate the people who made you money. That's all I've got, folks. Follow me on Twitter at HeyRemzo. Follow the show at Second Print Pod. Everywhere you go, you know how the internet works. Florida Man Mark will fight his alligators and be back later in the week. As always, remember, if there's one thing you can do, leave us a five-star rating and review. It costs you nothing, but it means everything to us. Helps people know what the fun we're having here. And if you can't do that, you can do one thing. It's read comics and change the world. Good night, America. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.